Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, we missed you guys. We were on vacation for two weeks. Some of, I think some thought maybe we left the church, but uh, we're sorry if we scared you. And for those of you who wanted us to leave the church, we're sorry to disappoint you. We came back. So, but we had a great time on vacation, and uh, while I was staring at the big hole called the Grand Canyon, I was thinking in the back of my mind, I have to prepare a message. So I want you to know that when I was on vacation, I was thinking about you guys. So we're going to kick off the Galatians series today. Typically when we start a series, Pastor Tim does uh, uh, the kickoff, but he's in Korea. Uh, he likes Korea. I think he likes Korea more than us, but... But he's uh, one of the keynote speakers at a very big and prestigious uh, missions conference. Uh, it meets every four years, so he was invited to speak. So remember to pray for Pastor Tim while he's over there. So Galatians, I'm going to dive a little bit into chapter one. I'm going to call it uh, Life or Death. That sounds a little dramatic, but when I you listen and as I talk, hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense to you. And this probably won't make any sense, but does anybody like mushrooms? Okay? No. Christina's like, no. Or Juliana, excuse me. Um, mush mushrooms, we uh, put them on salads, we put them on pizza, we, we put them, uh, we make soups out of them, we saute them, put them on steaks. Um, and big ones, we fry up and we make sandwiches out of. So mushrooms can be edible uh, or they can be poisonous. Now, here's a quiz for you. Here's two mushrooms. Are both edible? Are both poisonous? Is the one on the left poisonous and the one on the right edible? Or vice versa, is the one on the right edible and the one on the left poisonous? You're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Galatians? So, but you can see they sort of look alike, same texture, is there a difference? Are they the same? Something to think about. All right, Galatians. What does a book that's 2,000 years old have to do with us today? Is it relevant? Well, let me give you some background, and hopefully, real quickly, I can just show you how relevant it is. The Apostle Paul, in his first missionary journey, went to an area, uh, as you can see the path he took, and then he ended up in Galatia, and he preached the gospel. And the gospel was readily received by the Galatians. They just sucked it right in. Now the gospel, which is very key to the whole discussion, is simply the fact that Jesus Christ, he paid the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our own sins. And because of that payment, we are able to be connected with God. We are able to have a relationship with God. And this gracious act of being a part of God's family, it's a free gift from God. And we receive it through faith. It's the only way. I mean, through faith in Christ alone. And, and that, was the, that was the message that Paul taught the Ephesians, or the Galatians, sorry. However, shortly after he returned from his missionary trip, a group of Jewish Christians called the Judaizers followed and went wherever he went 
and said, you know, this guy Paul's not giving you the full deal. He's not really an apostle because he's not telling you the full story because you have to believe in Jesus and you have to keep the Mosaic Law. Now, the Judaizers taught, they, want, they taught the Galatians, you have to believe in Jesus, embrace uh, the Mosaic Law to become children of God. Now, some of this that they were teaching was actually part of the Jewish custom, specifically the issue of circumcision, uh, dietary issues, and also uh, regarding uh, keeping of feasts and festivals. So what they were saying was that you have to keep the Jewish law in addition to believing in Jesus. Now the big thing that they were talking about was circumcision. All right, And that was big in their minds because in Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with Abraham about to be part of my family, be part of my people, you need to, you, Abraham, and your descendants, the males, needed to be circumcised. All right? So that's why the Apostle Paul had to write this letter to the Galatians saying, no, it is faith alone in Christ. The law has its place, but it's faith alone in Christ. So why is this relevant? Well, the Galatians were new believers. And many times, new believers are just overzealous. They're like sponges. They take everything in, and they just have, they don't have any discernment because they don't know a whole lot. So when they started, when Paul left, they were, they were satisfied with the gospel that Paul taught, but when the, when the Judaizers came along, you know, they said, hey, um, you need to keep part of the law. Now, if you're a man and somebody comes up to you with a dull, rusty pen knife and says, you need to be circumcised, you tell them, no. And you probably say a few other words. But the Galatians said, okay, sign me up. So the point, one of the first points that this epistle is so relevant to us is that new or immature Christians, if you're, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you haven't grown very long, but new Christians need to be well-grounded in their faith. And I apologize for the underline uh, in your outline uh, for the fill-in. New Christians need to be well-grounded in their faith. We need to make sure that new believers are founded in their faith so they don't wander off the, the trail. And it's really easy to do because sometimes if we've been a Christian for a long time, we, don't, we take for granted many things that are, are basic. But new Christians come in and they, they believe Jesus and they sometimes don't realize there's a whole lot more to it. So they accept Jesus, but they keep on living the way that they used to or they just start adding their own philosophies, blending into the culture, and they're missing the point. And that's what the Galatians did. They just were just taking in information that was not correct. So the second point of relevance for the Galatians, studying Galatians, is that we don't want to be like the Judaizers that were pushing their culture on the Galatians. So we need to be careful that we're not pushing our culture on non-believers. And sometimes we're not even aware of the culture that we have. For example, I think we all speak in this Christianese language. There's words and terms and phrases that we use that we know what they mean, but for people outside of the church, they don't. Like, for example, if I say you have to accept Jesus as your Savior, I think we could all understand what that means. But in some groups, some Christian uh, sects, when we talk about accepting Jesus, what they think of is uh, their church background is that 
when they take communion, like the bread and body, the bread and the wine become the body of Christ. So when they're taking communion, they think that they're accepting Jesus. Now, taking communion does not make you right with God. That does not make you a son or daughter of God. Communion is something, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's down the road. It has nothing to do with salvation, but people can be confused about that. Another point of Christian uh, culture that may be a stumbling block is, is music. Um, I think we do a great job here of the worship music, it's contemporary music, uh, the lyrics are per- fairly understandable. Uh, years ago, Brennan and I visited a, a church, and uh, when it came to the worship time, they were singing these old hymns. Now, I've gone to church my whole life. I had no idea. I had never heard of these hymns before. I didn't recognize the tune, and it was written in Old English, and so... I had a hard time understanding. I, I didn't actually understand the lyrics, so I looked at the little information in the hymn book. The hymn was from, from the 1600s. And, you know, when we were singing today, you know, you could, if you shut your eyes, you know, you could, you, you could make out the words that people were singing. Well, they weren't singing. They were mumbling, because I would shut my eyes and listen, and it would go... I mean, the music and the lyrics were just awful. And the truth of the matter is, if I had a non-Christian friend who lived next door to that church, I would not have recommended them to go to that church. It's just that simple. There was just too many barriers, too many obstacles. Another Christian cultural thing that we have is, and this probably is going to sound blasphemous, so you're probably going to throw stones at me for this, but why do we meet on Sundays? 11 o'clock on Sunday, this is Dave speaking this, I'm not speaking on behalf of the church, but I hate meeting 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings because it ruins the whole day, all right? I, I'm just being brutally honest with you. And in fact, it ruins the whole weekend. Now, just walk with me for a second. If you're a non-believer and you've got a vague interest in Christianity, and you think, okay, maybe I should go to church, I went to church as a kid, i got to get back, or i got to get my kids in church, and you look on the internet, every church meets at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. If I'm a non-believer, I want to enjoy life, right? So when the weekend comes, I want to go camping, I want to go to the Poconos, I want to go to the shore, I want to go to New York or Washington or whatever for the weekend. I am not going to leave work on Friday go to the Poconos and come back Saturday evening for church on Sunday. It's just not worth it. I'm not going to do it. So, again, that may be something that we've all grown up with church on Sunday, but it may be something that's creating a barrier. Again, just this is Dave talking, so you can throw stones at me later. All right. Um, the third point of relevance of the book of Galatians is that transitions can be very, very difficult. Now, all these Relevant. We haven't even gotten into the scriptures. This is just based on the background of, of what's going on. Is transitions can be very difficult. The first believers, the first followers of Jesus were Jews. They were following the Mosaic law. They did, went to the temple. They did the sacrifice thing. Jesus comes along. They believe in him. He's the Messiah. Well, now what? What, what, what do they do with the Mosaic law? And it was a legitimate question. Now, the Judaizers, they were actually having a much more difficult time with this because... Um, they went behind Paul, and they, they wouldn't let go of the Mosaic Law. And that's what they told the Galatians, you've got to keep the Mosaic Law. So the Galatians, on the other hand, they were pagans. They had their pagan belief and their pagan ceremonies. In, and uh, so when they were heard about Jesus, they like, okay, we're going to substitute the old for the new. 
because that's what we do. When something changes, you know, we think of the old system and the new system, and it helps us understand it. So what the Judaizers were doing, they probably actually made more sense to the Galatians because what they were doing was substituting a, belief, a pagan belief for a belief in, uh, in Jesus, but also bringing in a whole baggage of, of ceremony. So the, the Galatians were believing, they had their own beliefs and their own ceremonies, and they were just substituting it for something new. So we need to be careful in our own lives because we may be carrying baggage with us from the past that's keeping us from advancing the way God wants us to. We need to take a close look. And the solution to all of these things is it's knowing God's Word. I can't say that enough. I've said it many times. We all need to be into God's Word to take that in so we know the truth so we can discern, like for example, like in cultural things, what are absolutes to the Christian faith versus what are convictions or preferences. And so it takes a very long time, but it's worth the effort just to make sure that we understand and know God's Word. So that's the relevance of the book of Galatians. We need to be concerned about new Christians. We need to be concerned about culture and also the transitions that, uh, that need to take place in our lives. So the significance of the book of Galatians... Uh, and this is another fill-in on your blank, is that it is a matter of spiritual life or death. All right? Very simple. That was the title of the message, life or death. We're talking spiritual life, heaven or hell. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. And Paul spends a lot of time in Galatians talking about this. And secondly, and it's important, but it's kind of a little bit buried, but it's towards the end of the book, is that how are we to live the, the Christian life? And Galatians is key to living an abundant Christian life through the Holy Spirit. We can either try to live the Christian life on our own, or we can submit to the Holy Spirit to allow Him to work in our lives. So when we look at the book of Galatians, there's, there's two problems. That, that Paul addresses. One is salvation by works versus salvation by faith in Christ alone. And the second point is um, perfection or sanctification or being Christ-like. Do we do that by emphasizing the works, good deeds, or is it by faith? And I think what causes a lot of confusion is back in those days, as in our days, is where do works fit into all this? There's some people that think that good works will, are sufficient enough for salvation. In other words, you can earn or merit um, a right standing with God by keeping, uh, by keeping the law and doing good deeds. Others like the Judaizers were saying, okay, there's faith involved. You put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to do these other things. And that gives you salvation. And that is wrong. Okay? The right answer, which is what the Apostle Paul taught, was it starts off with God's graciousness. He offers us the gift of eternal life. It's through Jesus' sacrificial death. And we receive that. It's by grace through faith faith in Jesus that leads to salvation. At the point of salvation, each believer is given the Holy Spirit. 
okay? Think of like Dave 2.0 or Juliana 2.0 or what. When we become believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and is there to empower us and to lead us and to guide us. And that's through the Holy Spirit where the works come in. Now, if we're depending upon our efforts, like the Galatians, to try to keep the law, we're going to be miserable, we're going to fail. Now, the law had its points. The law had its, it would show people that their need of a Savior, they show, the law would show that people were sinners and they needed to be forgiven. But the law could not move people to perfection. And let me, let me show you, I, th- I thought this was a, a verse that came to mind that I thought was very helpful. Was a few weeks ago, I talked about stealing. And this is a verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And it starts off by saying, He who steals must steal no longer. And now you recognize that comes from the Old Testament, right? Thou shalt not steal. All right. So we could all go home, lock ourselves in a closet, all right, and not steal, right? Because we're not doing anything, all right? We're not stealing. But that's no way to live your life. So what do we do? Well, the rest of this verse, I think, explains what Paul's talking about with the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Because he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So you can keep the commandment, not steal, by just doing nothing. All right? But the Holy Spirit opens up a whole new dimension, opens up a whole new perspective, because it models, this rest of this verse, is the sacrifice and service that Jesus did. Go out and work instead so that you have something to share with others. You become a take, you go from being a taker to a giver. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So if you look at all the Ten Commandments, you can take them, and, and you, if you think about it, you can see the, the added dimension that the Holy Spirit will add to each and every one of those commandments. But the law stops with, you know, thou shalt not steal. The Spirit takes it a whole lot further, and that's the key to the abundant life. So I hope that that is something you can stick with in, in your mind as we move forward. So what do we do then? How does this whole thing work? You know, we're, you know what do we do? Because we have to do something. We just don't sit and get saved. We just don't sit and the Holy Spirit works through us. And the best thing, I, I was coming across a verse, I was looking at Isaiah, and it says, but to this one, I, and that's God speaking, I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. What we need to do for salvation is we need to position ourselves, we need to humble ourselves and recognize our need of a Savior and humbly ask for forgiveness and ask Jesus to be a part of our lives. That's, we just we humbly position ourselves. In the same way as believers, we recognize that we need to live like Christ. And we just need to humble ourselves and say, I can't do this by myself, I need your help. And again, it's just simply recognizing that we need help. And it is just positioning ourselves to receive what God has for us. So we have to choose. Life is full of choices. We choose whether to follow Jesus or not to follow Jesus. If we are a follower of Jesus, we choose whether to submit to his lordship or not. So the book of Galatians throws out a bunch of of choices, and here's just a few. 
We can live under a blessing or we can live under a curse. We can be justified by faith or we can try to be justified by works. We can either be child, a child of God, or we can be a slave to sin or the law. We can live by the Spirit or by the flesh. Or we can be led by the Spirit or we can be under the burden of the law. And those are just a few of the choices that Galatians has for us. So as you go through this thing, there's choices to make. Remember, the first thing I threw out to you is you had to choose about those mushrooms, all right? It's all about choosing. All right, let's go into the text of chapter 1. And so if you uh, take a look. Verse 1, well, first of all, the, the book of Galatians is known as the angry epistle because the Apostle Paul was irritated. How do we know that? Well, if you look at verse 1, he starts off by saying, Paul, an apostle. Well, if you look at all his other letters, he starts off the same way too. And in most of his other letters, he also has like a little word of thanks or praise for the people he's writing to. There's an absence of that in this letter. But Paul goes on, he not only affirms himself as an apostle, he said, I'm not sent by any men. I'm not sent by any group or organization of men. I'm sent through Jesus was sent through the Father. He, he's like driving home the point. Like, I'm Dave. I'm Dave the nuclear engineer. I'm Dave the board member. I'm Dave. He's getting that point across because he was trying to refute what the Judaizers had said about him about not being a legitimate apostle, not being a legitimate teacher. So Paul, uncharacteristically, is, is pounding his own credentials. He's, he's putting them out making sure that the Galatians get the point. Another hint that Paul is upset is uh, in verse 6, where he says, I'm so amazed that you are quickly deserting him, deserting Jesus for a different gospel. When he says he's amazed, he's not just making a statement or observation about his own condition. There is a little bit of a barb, a little bit of a twist in there, and maybe a little bit of sarcasm, he's basically saying, hello, is anybody home? Or, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? Those are all ways to take that statement, I am amazed. So again, anybody reading this is going to know that Paul is irritated, he's upset, and that's why, again, they call this the angry epistle. Why was Paul angry? It was because they were forsaking the gospel. And Paul mentions this in verse 4. He just repeated, and I mentioned a little bit, a little bit ago, is that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Nobody else is rescuing you. You're not rescuing yourself. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So Paul reminds him at the very onset of this epistle, this is the gospel. This is is what makes all the difference. Now there's another clue in the first few verses that Paul was angry. And he uses this word accursed. It's not used very many times uh, in, the, in the Bible. And it's a very harsh term. The translation in the New American Standards, he is to be accursed. Most other Bibles say it's 
let him be accursed. And Paul's talking about people who are presenting a false gospel. One translation says, let him be eternally damned who teaches a false gospel. And one translation goes as far as to say, let him go to hell who teaches a false gospel. Paul is extremely serious at this point. He repeats this word accursed twice, so it's not a slip of the tongue. He's, he knows what he's saying. Let him be accursed. Let him go to hell who tries to teach you a false gospel. In the Old Testament, this word accursed was used in a context of someone or something that was set aside for God but for the purpose of destruction. All right? This is a harsh word. And it also was applied to the, the warnings that were given in the Old Testament. Any false prophet, anybody who leads you away from God, he is to be accursed. They were to take them out and they were to execute these false prophets. God did not mess around with the message of truth. It was very, very important you stay on course because the consequences are very grave. It's a mat it really is a matter of life or death. So anybody reading this would have known that Paul was deadly serious and this was nothing to mess around with. Now false gospels. Um, as I was thinking about this and just as I was processing different things I've encountered in my life is that I think there's three reasons or maybe more for why there are false gospels. The first one is, is people truly don't know who Jesus is. Specifically, he is God. He's not just a smart man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just some Superman kind of hero. He is God. Now, as difficult as that is, how the infinite became finite, how the eternal became stepped into time, I can't explain that. I just know it happened. But Jesus is God. And with him comes all the attributes of God. He was infinite in every capacity. He's infinite in his purity. He's infinite in his holiness, infinite in his justice. He's infinite in his ability to save us. Okay? And the reason that's important is if you try to save yourself, if you believe in Jesus and you think you need to work your way to heaven, you're actually insulting Jesus because you're saying he's not enough. The Apostle Paul was saying, no, Jesus is enough. Now, there's cults today like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. They talk about Jesus and they believe parts of the Bible. And if you listen, and sometimes there's not a whole lot of difference in what, what they say, and it may not sound a whole lot different. you really got to tune in to who they describe as Jesus. And to them, Jesus is someone less than God. And that's a fatal error. These people may be morally upstanding. They may be hardworking, dedicated family people, law-abiding citizens, they may be sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. Jesus is God, and there's no need to add anything that he did for us. Another reason for false gospels is that people don't know what the Bible says. They are ignorant of the Bible. 
Case in point, the Judaizers, they're saying that you got to go to, to go to heaven, you have to be circumcised. And again, they were coming from Genesis chapter 17. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, it says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, I don't care whether you're English, Korean, or Jewish, chapter 15 always comes before 17, Okay. Abraham was righteous in God's eyes because of his faith. That happened in chapter 15. In chapter 17, the circumcision thing is nothing more than an external act to reflect an internal condition. But for whatever reason, the Judaizers, and probably like us today, because we're so performance-oriented, I mean, you can see circumcision. You can see keeping the law. You can see uh, you know, what foods you eat and what festivals you keep. Faith, you can't see. So it's so easy to put your faith in what you can see, and you can miss the truth of what's in God's Word. And also the prophet Habakkuk, he said, the righteous man shall live by faith. It's always been faith is the key to a right standing with God's eyes. And these people, for whatever reason, the Judaizers did not fully incorporate all of the text of the Bible. So the second reason for false gospels is people are ignorant of what the Bible actually says. They may be well-intentioned, but they need to be correct. And the third point why I think false gospels crop up, because so much emphasis is put on what we do as people, is that we as people don't appreciate the depth of our own sinfulness. There's been studies that have been done, you know, when people like, when they critique themselves, they, they make themselves to be actually better than they are. When we come to God and we try to, if, in our own strength, our own abilities, and say, look, God, I've done this, I, I've, I've fed the poor, I, I've, I've given to this, I've, done, I've been a good husband or whatever, and this is why I should come be able to come into heaven. This is why I should be your child based upon my good works. The prophet Isaiah says that our righteousness, our good works, are like filthy rags. The term filthy rags is referring to women's menstrual cloth. So by coming to God and saying, look, look at all the good things I've done, it's like giving somebody a used tampon. Totally disgusting, totally unacceptable. We as people don't realize the depth of our own sinfulness. And as I was thinking about this, the, the longer I'm a Christian, God very graciously points out flaws in my thinking, my attitudes, my values. And I've had these for years. And it's like, wow, that's really, you know, why was I thinking that? Why was I doing, doing that? And it made me realize that, well, first of all, you feel ashamed when you realize you do something wrong. And then you think, does God still love me? Well, when, when God first saved you, when God first saved me, he knows everything about me. There's nothing that's a secret. He knows those deep values that I have. There's nothing that's a surprise to him. So the better we understand the depth and extent of our sinfulness, the more we're going to appreciate God's unmerited grace and love. His grace is greater than all of our sin. 
It's, it's, it's that simple. But we get hung up thinking that we're good when we're really very, very pathetic. Mushrooms. Did you guys decide? Who thinks they're both edible? Who thinks they're both poisonous? <laughs> you can only vote once, Harry. The one on the left, edible? What's that? Your left. It's the same up here. I'm looking at the same thing. <laughs> All right. Um, what did I just ask you? Which one was the left was edible? How about the right edible? Okay. All right. What you're looking at are two mushrooms that are commonly confused. They're, they're, they're similar size, similar, I guess in different lighting or different stages of their development. They're very similar. Okay. The one on the right is called a meadow mushroom and it's edible. The one on the left, the name of that mushroom is called the destroying angel. I couldn't tell you that at the beginning, I'd kind of give it away. Diarrhea, nausea, abdominal pains generally occur five to 12 hours after eating the destroying angel. The symptoms will typically go away and you may think you don't need to see a doctor. However, a day or two later, the symptoms will return and get worse. By then, it will probably be too late, and you will likely suffer liver and kidney failure. You'll go into a coma that ends in death. When comparing the true gospel with false gospels. It is truly a matter of life or death. We need to know the truth so that we make the right choice because the consequences are eternal. Let me pray. Dearly Father, 